0: I know there's nothing that they can do to stop us from overcoming the discrimination, the bias, and the racism.
1: That's Ben Crump, renowned civil rights attorney and founder of Ben Crump Law.
0: Based on the precedent of Black people in America, that whatever the enemies of equality throw at us, we're going to overcome it. We're going to be all right.
1: I'm Michael Mogul, Founder and CEO of CRISP, the nation's number one law firm growth company. I've built my business through practice, not theory. CRISP started with just $500 to my name and has grown to over eight figures in revenue over the last few years, earning a spot on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Our approach has been to take everything we've learned about generating massive growth within our own organization and help the country's most ambitious and committed law firm owners do the same for theirs. In each episode of this podcast, I sit down with innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond to learn from those who thrive in the face of adversity, challenge the status quo, and define what it means to be a true game changer. I sat down with Ben Crump to discuss why past precedents should not define present and future justice, why great influence comes with great responsibility, and how to find the courage to
0: speak truth to power. I was taught, you speak truth to power, even when it's uh, controversial or it's unpopular, even when it's dangerous, you speak truth to power, because we got these legal educations and shame on us if we don't use those educations to try to make the world a better place.
1: That's coming up on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. Before we begin today's episode, I want to remind you that we aren't beholden to any sponsors or run any ads on this podcast. This allows us to present all of our episodes raw and unfiltered. I'm not going to push any made-to-order meal services on you or try to save you any money on your car insurance. That being said, I have one small request. If you receive any value from this podcast, please give it a five-star review. Pay the fee so we can keep this podcast free. Ben Crump is the founder of Ben Crump Law one of the most prestigious civil litigation firms in the nation. He's represented the victims of many of the most high profile lawsuits in history. And as a result, he's become an influential voice in the legal industry today. Ben has been included on the Time 100 Times annual list of the 100 most influential people in the world. He also serves as the president of the National Civil Rights Trial Lawyers Association and was recently featured in the Netflix documentary, Civil.
0: My mission is to try to make sure Marginalized people, especially people of color, especially black people, have an equal opportunity at life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And in fighting for these equal opportunities and equal chance at justice, you understand that you have to sacrifice a lot. And they tell me to stop saying this, but I always feel like I'm running out of time. We can't keep up with how many marginalized people of color are killed unjustly by the people who are supposed to protect and serve them, by the people who are supposed to care. And Mike, as you know, you watch the evening news, you see there's another one. Every time you think that you're making progress.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, are there times where you feel like the more you help, the more, it's sometimes more challenge it creates just nationwide, maybe not because of your hand, but ultimately because of just this problem continues to scale.
0: I always remain optimistic, Michael. It's incremental progress. You know, we've been fighting racism and discrimination in America from the inception of the country being founded. Every day, we're going to continue to hold a mirror to America's face to say we're better than this America. We're better than the video of George Floyd being tortured to death. We're better than this America where Maude Aubrey was lynched for jogging while black, uh, not in 1940, not in 1950, but in 2020, in our day. And so, and that's just one year in 2020. But with all that said, we have seen great progress. I mean, the officers who killed George Floyd was prosecuted. The officers who killed Lamar Opry was prosecuted. Normally, there's no accountability when they kill black people unjustly. As long as you know the Supreme Court and everybody else says, we well, qualified immunity, you don't get civil justice. And then because of Section 242, you don't get any criminal accountability. So it's almost as if the black life didn't matter at all. And that's why we fight to say black lives do matter Because, you know, when you look at the reality of our justice system, it doesn't based on the outcomes. And I'll ask this, well, it's probably
1: a simple question, maybe a complex answer. But just through all your experience, what do you believe is the root
0: of the issue? Like, where does it really begin? It is a simple question, but a complex answer. We have to make America believe in the Declaration of Independence. When I'm picking a jury in a courtroom, I literally go one by one and I tell the jury, I know that you can recite the Declaration of Independence, but do you really believe it when you say we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equally, that they're endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights? That amongst them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I would ask them, and I would say, you know, do you believe it? And then the other side would object, and the judge would say, well, move on, Attorney Crump. And I, I say, well, Judge, if they won't agree that this black person who was killed unjustly has the same equal rights as the white police officer, or black police officer, or a Hispanic police officer who killed them, then this case is lost before we began. And I I make a big deal about it because really we don't have a chance if they won't see these black people as equal to these white people in most of the instances. And that's why you see this happening over and over again. And it's not just with police because police are the low people on the poll. It is... The criminal justice system itself, worse than how they kill Trayvon Martin, worse than how they kill Michael Brown and Ferguson when we were talking about hands up, don't shoot, worse than how they kill 12-year-old Tamir Rice in Cleveland on the playground, worse than how they kill Eric Gardner. I mean, the list can go on and on, but worse than how they kill George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Maude Aubrey, is how they kill young people of color, especially black people in every city, in every state, in every courtroom, and every day in America with these trumped up felony convictions based on bias, racism, and discrimination. You can have little white boys and girls who have similar fact patterns to little black boys and girls. And you... Don't take Ben Crump's word for it. Go sit in the back of any courtroom in America and you just watch how the young white people get a slap on the wrist. But then you have the young black people never get the benefit of the doubt, the benefit of consideration, the benefit of possibility. They're taken over to the corner of the courtroom, they're fingerprinted, and they are handcuffed and charged with a trumped-up felony conviction. It's so bad, Michael, that in my home state of Florida and states like Tennessee and many other states around the country, they say one out of every five black men will be a convicted felon. And they say if that trend continues in the next 25 years, every one out of three black men in America will be a convicted felon. I want you to imagine that you are a parent of a black son. And I want you to imagine that you have a black male nephew. And I want you to imagine that you have a black male cousin. And I want you to imagine that these three little black boys are around the age of six, seven, eight years old. And in your minds are... Just imagine them at play like most children do. And as you observe them, try to figure out in the next 10 to 20 years which one of those little boys are going to end up as a convicted felon who has your blood running through their veins and end up living a life as a second-class citizen because they are forced to wear this convicted felon label like a cross on their back forever. Every time you punch their name into a computer, the first thing that comes up is that they're a convicted felon. And so they are forever reminded that you are a person who we have written off. In my own family, there are people who have been branded as a convicted felon And I always try to remind them that now we still believe that you have redeeming qualities. We still believe that you can be a constructive citizen in society. We still believe you're one of the best things that your mother and father gave to the world. We still believe that God has a plan for you. We still believe in you. And we have to constantly remind them of that because if we don't, I believe... That we will have an entire generation of young black people who a racist criminal justice system has written off as being undeserving of equality.
1: I have to ask through your experience, like, how do you remain optimistic every time you see another situation? And and this is behind the cameras, this is when you're sitting with the families, you know, they've lost their son or daughter, like, I mean, and you're doing that day after day after day.
0: The reason I do remain optimistic, is twofold. You know, I grew up in the government housing projects. Single mother raised me and my two little brothers. The statistics said that, hey, you are gonna end up in a minimum wage job, or you gonna end up in prison, or you gonna end up dead. That's what the statistics said about me and every other little black boy growing up in Lumberton, North Carolina, and it was a very depressed community, but here I am. And so that tells you there's always hope. There's always a possibility. And so I I think about that and I think about my daughter and my two nephews who we uh, raised as our own, and I look at them and I see all the optimism in their eyes and the hope. And I I know that we can give them a better world, a better America. And that gives me hope. But the probably the more honest reason why I have hope is not based on me at all. It is based on what they tried to teach us in first year law school about precedent, that everything must be based on precedent. And I'm sure many of the listeners will remember fresh year law school where they were like, well, we don't care what you think, you got to base it on precedent. And because we have to have the rulings of today be based on the precedent and connected to the rulings of the past. So it can have a lot of logical connection to the rulings that we're going to have for the future. So they kept beating us across the head, Everything is precedent, precedent, precedent. Uh, But I didn't accept that now, Michael, because I understood if what they said were true, I would still be a slave because the precedent set by the United States Supreme Court was that slavery was legal. But I did understand, even though I disagree with them, what they were trying to teach us about precedent. And that was based on precedent. It's a likely indicator of what is to happen in the future. And so I think about the precedent of black people in America. I think about how at the founding of this country, we were labored three-fifths of a human being, of a citizen. And yet we overcame that. I think about the precedent of the middle passage. Then I think of the precedent of the United States Supreme Court decision in Dred Scott, where they said there were no rights that a black man had that a white man was bound to respect. Well, we overcame that after the Civil War and Reconstruction and the carpetbaggers and the rise of the Ku Klux Klan. The Supreme Court decision in Plessy v. Ferguson, uh, separate but equal, when it was anything but equal, and you know we overcame all of those poll taxes and all the other things and the impediments to equality. We overcame that. Then I think about the precedent of how black people overcame Jim Crow in the early 1900s, and then in the mid 1900s in the 40s, 50s, all the way up to today. So what that tells me, Michael, is based on the precedent of black people in America that whatever the enemies of equality throw at us, we're going to overcome it. We're going to be all right. And that's what gives me encouragement. I know there's nothing that they can do to stop us from overcoming the discrimination, the bias, and the racism.
1: And, and today, you're you have a living, breathing embodiment of what is possible. And I'm and I'm curious. Before you, you know, you believed in you. I learned that there was quite a number of people that that did believe in you, that had hope for you. With your your mother and your grandmother. And I'm curious, what led to the decision to to go to law school?
0: You know, my mother and my grandmother had a, a profound influence on my life. I, I don't know if you saw the documentary that Netflix had on me several, but it talked a lot about my grandmother. God bless that woman. She was the wisest person I ever met on the face of this earth, even though she only had an eighth-grade education, because in North Carolina, you quit going to school and you went to crop tobacco. But my grandmother understood the importance of education She took out a newspaper subscription, even though she could barely read. And i never forget, I was uh, going to the second grade, and every day after I would finish my homework, my grandmother and I would try to read articles in the newspaper, and we'd try to sound out the words and figure out the context of the articles uh, about people like Mother Teresa and uh, President Jimmy Carter and Ann Wasa died in the Peace Accord. And what was amazing about that is what my grandmother really was doing was showing me that there was a bigger world out there for me than just Lumberton, North Carolina. And so my mother worked two jobs for as long as I can remember, man. She said, life is hard you make it fair by what you bring to the table. And if you don't bring that to the table, don't expect anybody to let you sit down at the table. She told me, education is something to bring to the table because once you have it up here, nobody can take it away from you. And she said, and when you get to the table, you make sure you try to leave room to help others get to the table. When I made the decision to become a lawyer, It was partly watching them. I went to Brown versus Board of Education with all deliberate speed, finally got to Lumberton, North Carolina in the late 70s. They bused us little black children from South Lumberton, literally across the tracks to North Lumberton to the affluent white communities. And whether they had a new school, new technology, new facilities, new books, new everything. And so I remember coming back home one day from school, crossed the tracks, and I I just observed our neighborhood. You know, you had all the dilapidated buildings. And uh, I just remember thinking, I wonder why people on our side of town have it so challenging And people on the other side of town seemed to have it so accommodating and affluent and better. And uh, I remember my mother saying, well, the reason we got to go to the new school with the new books and the new facilities and everything was because of Brown versus the Board of Education and an attorney named Thurgood Marshall. And I decided right then at nine years old, when I grew up, I'm going to become an attorney like Thurgood Marshall, and fight to make a better situation for people who live in my community, for people who look like me, to have equal opportunity, a better opportunity at the American dream. And from that day to this one, that's what I endeavor to do every day I wake up, every day. I, I, I never doubt what my mission is. When I wake up. It's
1: interesting. I mean, that you mentioned some of the trade-offs. You fast forward to present day. I hear that, you know, unfortunately, you and your staff, you're getting frequent death threats. You've got critics. I mean, there's all sorts of challenges you have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. You talk about this in the documentary in Civil, that there's critics that say you play the race car for profit. Some say you're the single most destructive force in America. I mean, it's just amazing. Like, I, do you ever think like just for where you came from, what your life was, the work you're doing today, to hear these sort of things and now to deal with these types of challenges, I mean,
0: what's that like for you? I try not to think about it much because I know what my objective is. God blessed me with this influence for a reason, and I have to use it to help those who have no influence, who have no voice. Fox News said that I'm the most dangerous man in America, and I scratched my head. I said, wow, all I'm trying to do is help black people get equality. What's so dangerous about that? But we have to deal with the threats, and it was hard to agree to do the documentary over that because I understand the choice I make every day, but obviously I exposed my wife and family in the documentary. that That was a very methodical decision. I had to think about that a lot. I did it essentially because I understood the global bullhorn that Netflix has, you know, almost 300 million people, 300 million homes to be able to speak truth to power is why I did it. But it it does come with some risk uh, because people do sick things. Right now I'm representing eight of the 10 families who lost their loved ones to a young white supremacist who went in to Buffalo, New York, drove three hours from his own home to come to a black community and kill all those innocent people in that supermarket. And in his manifesto, in his own words, he said his objective was to kill as many black people as he could. And so I I don't take the death threats for granted. Uh, We don't take them lightly at the Ben Crump Law Firm but we are unafraid in what we do and if God forbid something were to happen I I think there could be no more nobler way to sacrifice your life for than fighting for the future of your children they are worth the fight they are worth the fight and so I get it. Uh, my heroes, uh, Thurgood, life was in constant peril. I mean, I may have it hard, but, you know, he had to move every night. He, When he came to town, all the black people would be excited and happy saying, Thurgood is coming. And I get that because, you know, when I decide to take a case, all the black people get happy. But then you also have these... You know, white supremacist people, like with Thurgood, the clan knew he was coming to down, and they were preparing to kill him, literally. And so every night, when they found a way to stay, there were crosses burning outside and so forth, and he would have to move in uh, the dark of night just to survive. But he kept showing up. And what an example for us lawyers. Uh, Whether black, white, brown, it doesn't matter. You show up for right. I was taught you speak truth to power, even when it's uh, controversial or it's unpopular, even when it's dangerous, you speak truth to power because we got these legal educations and shame on us if we don't use those educations to try to make the world a better place. And for the people who are listening to this podcast, whether it's other
1: trial lawyers, their teams, and you know, and beyond, I believe that the majority, if not all, will agree with you, and they want to do more. How do they contribute to this? Because I imagine when you see a black square on Instagram, I don't know how much that's doing. What do you recommend someone does if they they're on the side, they don't like the police brutality, they they want to not just raise awareness for it, but they want to drive real change?
0: Yeah, you know, Michael, it's like Dr. King said. We all have a role to play in this struggle for equality and justice. And everybody doesn't have to be on the front lines with me and Reverend Al and the Black Lives Matter activists. We all have a role to play. It's trying to do something to make a difference in your community, to take on a mentee, somebody who is totally opposite from you, somebody who... It has been written off by society to take them on as a a mentee and try to help them be able to achieve the American dream. And and to the trial lawyers, you know, you can support scholarship funds to try to make the profession be more diverse. I I have at the St. Thomas University College of Law, we have the Ben Crump uh, Social Justice Center where we are focused on giving scholarships to people who will commit to do civil rights work for 10 years after they graduate. And even though you might not do it, contribute to the scholarship fund. And so we have a lot of young people who want to do this type of work and no, it doesn't pay as much and all this stuff as you know a lot of my trial lawyer, lawyer brethrens. but we can do good and do well at the same time. And so uh, help those young people be able to get through law school to do their civil rights work, to fight for wrongfully convicted people, to fight for people who are being overcharged and overconvicted, fight for people in these communities that are being exposed to environmental racism on a regular basis. Because the other thing, you can help your business too. Now, I can help your law practice, too. I think of these mass torts and such. The people who are often affected the most are marginalized people of color, minority communities. And so when they see you doing these cases of uh, human and civil rights, they say, hey, I remember that person. We should go to them. We send all the advertisements for Camp Lejeune and talcum powder, but remember this law firm in our community, they uh, help represent us. And so it matters. Everybody has a role to play. Just try to do something. Do what Dr. King said in the letter from the Birmingham jail. He, He talked about, you can't call yourself a moral person and see evil and look the other way. You know, neutrality in the face of evil is a choice.
1: And for those listening that, let's say they're maybe in an early part of their career, in their legal career, they just started their firm. And today, you're a national firm. From what I recall, you're getting hundreds, if not thousands, of calls a day today. But that was not always the case. And I remember watching the documentary that you and Daryl used to call yourself rent lawyers,
0: if you could speak to that. Yeah, Michael. You know, we all have a start. And hopefully, for the young lawyers listening, it's not where you start, it's where you finish. We did rent law, man. We did anything that would help us pay the rent. And a lot of times that meant doing criminal law. And we got real good at it, gave us real good trial skills, which are very beneficial today as we take on some of the largest corporations in the world. And so never ever think, oh, it's just a little criminal case or it's just a little car accident case. No, this is the case that's going to help you Sharpen your skills to the point where you become habitual. And so you develop hefty habits. So every time you go in a courtroom, you made sure that your axe was very sharp that morning and that you were prepared for the battle when you go in that courtroom. That's what today is about as a young lawyer. You are, everything you do is going to accumulate to something to help you for some controversy, some trial, some case that you're going to have 20 years from now. And you're going to think back to that moment today and say, I'm glad I went through that journey. Because the real victory is in the journey. And I know people say, well, that's easy for you to say once you've made it. But the real victory is in the journey. One of my greatest... uh, heroes, Frederick Douglass, the great Negro abolitionist, he said, without struggle, there could be no progress. And you think about that just on its own, it's profound. But when you think about it, even in a scientific context, for an engine to move, there has to be friction. There has to be some struggle to get progress. And so what you're going through only is helping you to progress in life. There's a
1: lot of different lawyer awards and recognition, and no, no disrespect to the super lawyers, but in 2021, you were included in the, in the Time Magazine 100, right? The annual list of the 100 most influential people in the world. So what was that like? I mean, what was it like for you, for your team, your,
0: your family? My mother, who is deeply religious, said, only guy could take a little black boy from the government housing projects and give him the influence that will make him be amongst the most influential people in the entire world. And so to God, all the glory. And then as we come to a
1: close, this being the Game Changing Attorney podcast, what does being a game changer mean to you?
0: I remember reading Lawrence of Arabia, by T.S. Eliot, the British soldier. He said the most dangerous man in the world is the man who dreams with his eyes open. I think that's what it means to be a game-changing attorney. You are dreaming of this world of equality and justice fall, liberty and justice fall. It sounds good on paper, but we're the ones who make the reality. I want to give a huge
1: thank you to Ben Crump for taking the time to speak with us today. You know, what particularly resonated with me was when Ben said that it is not moral to remain neutral in the face of evil. Regardless of who we are or where we are, we all have the power and the responsibility to speak out against injustice. If you found this episode valuable, here are three free ways that I can help you grow your law firm. Number one, download the first chapter of my book absolutely free at GameChangingAttorney.com. Number two, you can shoot me a text at 404-531-7691 and I'll answer any question that you've got for me. And finally, number three, if you can leave this podcast a five-star review, it'll help us gain access to more influential thought leaders and bring their lessons learned here to you. For more information on our interview with Ben Crump, see the show notes for this episode in your podcast app or visit gamechangingattorney.com.